Do you know which foods you can stockpile for a really long time? Hey, this is episode 768 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. And guys, that's a great way to kick off your new year is to help you get better prepared by signing up for the top preparedness articles. Hey, again, welcome to the Ready Your Future podcast. I am so glad that you are here hanging out with me on this one. I'm a little late in getting this one out with all the holidays and all the stuff that was going on, but uh, better late than never, right? It had a little bit of a scare just the other day and wanted to kind of share it with you because I think it's relevant to a lot of us when we think about our devices and uh, the things that we rely on. So we have a little heater that we use for our restroom. And so uh, we have tile all throughout our floor in the, in the house. So and you, during the summertime, it's really nice because it is nice and it's cool, you know, because, you know, you get to walk around and you're barefoot and the tile is cool and everything. But during the winter time, which we don't have a very long winter here in Houston, but during the winter time, it does get a little chilly in the restroom. And so we kind of use that to warm up the, uh, the restroom when we're getting ready in the morning, taking a shower and all those different kinds of things. Well, the one that we had is, I didn't realize it after I started really thinking about it, is super, super old. Now, I bought this one. So some of you who've been with me for a while know that I talk about the place that my dad had up in Palestine, Texas. And that was really like two places back, right? That was the one that we had when we were growing up. I would do anything for that place right now. It had an artesian well that ran year round. It was a beautiful place. We had great neighbors, um, you know, a, a decent amount of property, a lot of wildlife. I'd do anything to have that there. I wish dad wouldn't have sold it back in the day. But we had cold winters up there as well. So when we would go up there, we had these two little heaters. Now, these little heaters were awesome. They were small, but they put out a lot of heat. And as I was thinking about how old they are, I remember picking these up from Granger for my dad when I was 16 years old. So I remember like driving over there and, and picking these up for him. And I mean, they were really great heaters. So we have used those suckers all those years, almost like almost 40 years old, right? You know, 35 years old, these, these heaters are. So anyway, so the other day I had it, uh, and actually this is like two, two days ago, I had it heating up and I moved it just back just a little bit. And all of a sudden I saw sparks coming out of the back and a flame, uh, coming out of, or actually on the electrical cord. And I mean, I kind of freaked out. I mean, I was ready to jump into the shower at this point. I grabbed the cord from the, uh, and I know this was probably not safe at all, but it was just a reaction where I grabbed it and pulled it out uh, from the, from the wall. And, you know, of course that it went out and everything, but 
man, that was really scary. And the thing is, it was even more scary because I let my mother-in-law borrow that. Her heat went out with all the crazy temperatures and everything that we've been dealing with. Her heat wasn't working at capacity. So I let her borrow this one and uh, she had some other heaters as well. And it could have happened with her there and maybe not even paying attention to it. I, I mean, it was right there when, when this happened. So you can imagine how you know, kind of freaked out I was. But the lessons here is, is that devices that we have get old. You might be depending on a device that you have used for many, many years. And granted, I think, you know, 35 years ago, they built things a lot better, uh, you know, a lot sturdier than they do now. Nowadays, things last for a couple of years and then they break down. But nevertheless, devices get old. And when they get old, they, you know, they, they can become dangerous, especially when you're dealing with electricity here. And so that's a, something to consider when you are using and depending on these devices. That's why we always talk about in the preparedness community, three is two, two is one, one is none. And, you know, that's why it's important to, to have something like that. Um, I was lucky enough because I had gone out to Home Depot a couple of days before the, you know, the temperatures really dropped down here. And I know some of you guys are dealing, still dealing with it. Temperatures are warming up here, but um, it was, it was really, really cold. We didn't lose power like we did uh, with uh, winter storm Yuri a year ago, but if we would have, it would have been just as bad. And from what I'm hearing, there's still people who have busted pipes and, and all that different kinds of things going on. So plumbers are, are uh, you know, staying really busy right now, taking care of all these things. But we didn't lose power, um, you know, but still people went out and bought heaters and you couldn't find uh, a heater. I like I bought one of the last ones. It's a small little heater that I wanted as, a, as an extra one as a backup. And, you know, so when you need it, it's not always going to be out there in the store. So you want to make sure that you really think about that. Think about the devices that you think use, especially when we're talking about heaters and things like that. Uh, take care of them. And it might get to a point where you, you are good with, you know what, this is, you know, probably have, has worn its, uh, its time and let's just go ahead and replace it. Might cost a little bit of money, but it, it'll be worth it in, in case we truly, truly need it. And we don't have to, uh, to worry about uh, any danger, especially when you're talking about electricity there. I thought I'd share that with you. Um, that was one of those things that, you know, probably will stay with me for a little while. Hey, uh, I want to let you know that I have created a blackout checklist. And so bound, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've been working on it. I actually, I, I started working on it back when I still owned Prepper website and just realizing how important it is to have blackout preps, uh, you know, ready to go in the case of, you know, blackouts, the grid going down, uh, whatever it might be. And I think especially in this day and age that we're seeing where uh, there are people that are, they're shooting at substations. And you know, we, we saw that in North Carolina. We've actually heard that, that that has happened in more places than just that one substation, but that was the one that hit the news. And then just recently, over the Christmas holiday, some ding dong attack, you know, it was a coordinated attack. They vandalized a substation in Seattle. And so 14,000 people were without electricity in the dead of winter when you're, when you're counting on that. And so again, I don't know what, how people heat their homes up there, but that's not cool. So you have stupid people that are doing stupid things out there. You have infrastructure that's really old. 
you have you know the always the possibility of you know terrorists doing something to our, our grid you you always have these things that are happening right? winter storms that are taking out power um uh, because of just limbs falling down and that that happened here in the houston area we didn't we didn't lose power because of ERCOT and and not having enough power supply, but limbs were freezing, falling on power lines, busting the power lines, those different kinds of things. So we're in a state where it's really smart to have a blackout kit ready to go. And so that's why I created this blackout checklist. So really this is going to take the place, you know, for years I have been uh, mentioning, if you sign up for the email list, you get, you know, 25 articles that I think you should read. Um, you know, that's always going to be around. It's always going to be connected to other episodes, but I'm really going to be sharing this one out. So when you sign up for the email list, you'll get the blackout checklist. I hope that you will consider that. Hey, another question that I get asked a lot is Todd, when are you going to open up the exclusive email group? Cause I've only do that every so often, like about four times a year. And I haven't done it. I should have done it around December, um, you know, the middle of December, early December, but I haven't done it yet. Uh, I'm opening that up in January. And so it is a great opportunity to meet other people in the preparedness community, to talk, to share, to ask questions. Um, it is just, um, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, I had the idea to start this up uh, years ago. And then we also meet online for our online meetups every, every other Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you're interested in that, it only costs $20 a year. If you're interested in that, then click the link to be notified of when that goes live. Because when it goes live, I only leave it open for about a week because it does, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work on my part as far as, you know, people signing up and adding them to the, uh, to the list and, and going about that way. So if you're interested, sign up so that you'll be notified when we go live and uh, you can join the email group. And uh, we, we just, it's a good group, a good group of people. <laughs> Let me spit that out. Great group of people. Uh, and uh, I'm just really proud of what the group has accomplished. Hey, big shouts out to a couple of people. Gary for buying me five coffees over at Buy Me a Coffee. Gary, I greatly appreciate your support of uh, the Ready Your Future website and podcast. And Sandra, for buying me 10 coffees. That's a lot of coffee, right? I like coffee, but that's a lot of coffees. And I greatly appreciate it, Sandra. It means a whole lot to me. Thank you so much. Guys, if you want to support the Ready Your Future podcast, you can go over to readyyourfuture.com forward slash support. I have a link in the show notes. And there's just a bunch of different ways that you can support. Um, and some of it is donations, like buying me a coffee and say, hey, Todd, we appreciate what you do. But there's other things like, hey, signing up for the exclusive email group and uh signing up for the top preparedness articles that uh, that's always a benefit as well. And so that supports what we're doing here in the preparedness community. I want to get a, a shout out to the listeners in New Zealand. I saw the analytics there. You guys are, are rocking it down there, listening to the podcast. Greatly appreciate you guys. Hey, I know that I talked about Little House in the Big Woods, chapter one last week, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the second chapter. And so if you, I know some people have purchased the book and I also did a little write-up on the website. If you're interested, you can go over there and check that out. Um, you know, it's, I think it's just one of those things. And so as I was listening to it, it was it was good to think about the way that they lived back then. And because, you know, we think about, off-grid and what off-grid would look like. One of the, a couple of things that stood out to me this time was the attention 
to things looking nice. So although they lived in the big woods and they were off-grid, there was things that Ma would do to make things look nice and just kind of enjoy life. It was just kind of like that added thing to do. So for instance, um, one of the things was uh, when they created butter, there was a little mold that they would use that had like a strawberry in the butter, right? And so it was just like decorative butter, you know, a slab of butter. And when you think about that, it's like, come on, you you know, you just want the square. You want to be able to just, you know, slap that on whatever you need. But it was that attention to detail that I think was important, right? Um, another attention to detail of things just looking nice was the lantern. So there was a part in the story in chapter two where they're just discussing, you know, reading uh, or mom was doing chores by the, the, the lantern. Maybe she was sewing. I can't exactly remember. But there was a description about the lantern and that it was a kerosene lantern and it had bits of flannel that was in the kerosene to kind of decorate it. So it just wasn't your typical, you know, I guess glass lantern, but there was a, you know, it made it look nice. There's just a little bit extra attention to detail. Sometimes we think about being off grid. We just want it functional and that's it. But there's nothing wrong with having nice things or making things look nice. The other thing that really stood out at me was that every day there was a specific task. You know, when you think about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's always like, you know, you have to do, uh, you know, cook. That's that's important. But like if they break, if they did bread, they would bake bread one day out of the week and have that for the rest of the week. But then there was all the other chores that they would do. And every day was a specific chore that they had to do and kind of break it down. And if you, you get sick, you can't do it and chores start to fall apart. Right. And so how important it is to stay healthy and to, and to have that all uh, listed out. So anyway, again, I think, uh, beneficial there. I'll continue listening to Little House in the Big Woods, sharing my little insights that I get there. Hopefully, uh, if you are interested, you can go check that out as well over at audiopreps.com. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the article of this episode. It comes to us from homesteadsurvivalsite.com, and the title is 15 Foods That Can Easily Last 15 Years. And so I think this is an important one. I haven't talked about food long-term long-term food storage in a, in a while, so I think this is really relevant going into the new year. So let's go ahead and uh, start with this one again. HomesteadSurvivalSite.com: Fifteen foods that can easily last fifteen years. So let's go ahead and get started. Whether it's a severe weather event, a disease outbreak, or acts of violence, sudden emergencies can interrupt our food supply. We may need to shelter in place for days, weeks, or even longer. While we cannot control how and when a crisis hits, we can control how we handle it. One way to prepare for an emergency is by building a stockpile of food for your family. Most health and safety organizations today recommend having a three-day supply of food and water on hand at all times. But what happens after those three days when the infrastructure is still down and the hazards still exist? That's when we may need to rely on having a supply of food that lasts. This article includes a list of foods that will last for 15 years or more when stored under the right conditions. So number one is dried beans and lentils. So an excellent source of fiber and carbohydrates, dried beans can last up to 30 years when stored correctly. 
according to research by Utah State University, a consumer taste panel that was testing foods for emergency use gave dried pinto beans that had been stored for three decades an 80% acceptance rate. For best results, you should remove dried beans from their store packaging, transferring them to number 10 cans or Mylar bags. Oxygen absorbers also help extend flavor and appearances. Store the containers in a cool, dry place away from sunlight. And so I think this is a good time to to mention, you know, sunlight and heat. Uh, is going it's going to be the destroyer and pest of course but it's going to be the destroyer of any kind of food so any long-term food that you want to to stockpile you need to make sure that you are controlling the temperature and that you are controlling the heat and that's going to be really important uh you know and uh, as well as the sunlight right you don't want the sunlight coming in and so that's going to be really really important for all of these foods that we're going to be talking about here but uh, pinto beans, I think, is one of those things. Um, I guess I grew up eating them, so I, I in, you know, like eating them. I have no problem eating them. But another thing to consider here is like when we're talking about these long-term food storage uh, ideas, right? These foods, if you're not using them on a regular basis, you need to go out and start buying, start using them, start incorporating them into your diet. So that if you had to dig into these, um, you wouldn't, uh, you know, you you wouldn't uh, screw up your di- digestive system because that's what winds up happening with a lot of these foods. So anyway, pinto beans, I think it's one of those things. Um, again, with all of these things, I'm going to say, you know, you need to find some recipes as well. All right. So number two is white rice, and guys, those are the staples when we talk about preparedness and we talk about. Uh, making sure that you have cheap long-term food storage. Pinto beans and rice, white rice, is going to be the staples for most people. Uh, you know when you're when you're talking about it, it's the easiest entry with mylar bags and five-gallon buckets. All right. So although it often gets a bad nutritional rap, white rice is a complex carbohydrate that offers protein and vitamins and minerals, including manganese, niacin, iron, phosphorus, copper, magnesium, zinc, and vitamin B6. It also can last in your stockpile for 25 to 30 years. Store rice in a cool, dry spot in tightly sealed containers. To guard against pests, you can place vacuum-sealed bags inside 5-gallon buckets or add oxygen absorbers to your number 10 cans. So again, uh, the pinto beans, the white rice, I mean, if you're looking for cheap, long-term food storage, using 5-gallon buckets with Mylar bags is really the way to go. And then I would just say you need to go ahead and get your spices and then you need to uh, you need to get recipes to be able to do that. So uh, I'm glad that that was number one and number two because that's normally what you hear. So if you're new to preparedness and you're new to long-term food storage, that's really where uh, I, I feel you need to start. Uh, number three is honey. So the expiration date on honey usually refers to when it will start to crystallize. However, crystallization does not make honey unsafe to eat. You can easily heat honey so that it returns to its syrupy state. Store honey in glass jars or heavy food-grade plastic containers with a tightly closed lid. The best temperature range for honey storage is about 57 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Store your honey in a dark place away from direct sunlight or other heat sources. So honey is, you know, even when you crystallize it, actually, sometimes if you're making tea, the crystallized honey is a little bit easier to use. You know, it's, you can kind of just, you know, it's not going to drip everywhere and get everything all all nice and sticky, but, uh, 
honey is one of those things that I I do love to uh, to taste. Uh, you know, I've I've had honey that was sent to me, and uh, man, it's just from different parts of the country. Uh, you you might get the different taste depending on the pollinization and what is going on around where the the honeys are making uh, or where the bees are making the honey. Now. I will say that when it talked about heating it up to getting it back to its syrupy state, you want to be very careful about that. You don't want to just like throw it in the microwave or put it on top of the stove. You want to heat it very slowly, sometimes even cracking the lid, putting it out in the sunlight and allowing that to heat up your honey uh, will will do that. Because if not, if you throw it in the microwave or you throw it on the stove, you're going to kill off all the properties that you have in the honey. So you don't want to do that. Um, but uh, even the crystallized honey, I mean, if you're cooking with it, uh, that's really safe to, to use and you're ready to go with that. Um, the other thing I would recommend is finding, uh, like if you want to buy honey, of course, you don't want to buy the junk that you find at the grocery store unless you're just using it, you know, for, you know, making like a, a little recipe. Like my son makes the Chick-fil-A sauce, like during COVID, he found a recipe for Chick-fil-A sauce and it required honey. I'm like, okay, you don't need to use my good honey for that. Just use the, use the honey in the, you know, in the, in the, in the bear, right? The, the bear honey, the cheap stuff, because I don't want you wasting it because he was, he was making so much of it. But anyway, um, find like a beekeeper association where you can tap into because, you know, they like to sell their honey to raise money. You want local honey to get the allergen uh, benefits of it. So find someone locally that you can, you can buy your honey from and um, you can usually get a, a really good deal. And then also you're getting really, really, a really great product that will have its health benefits for you. Number four is oats. So an important ingredient for breakfast cereals, breads, and non-dairy milk, dried oats can last up to 30 years. Like most of the other items on this list, heat, moisture, and light are enemies of your dried oat supply. Therefore, store oats in airtight containers in a cool, dry, dark location and use oxygen absorbers. Number five is powdered milk. So powdered milk may have a best by date of 18 months, but it can last indefinitely under the right conditions. Here are the steps to take for the best results. Store only non-fat powdered milk. Transfer powdered milk from store packaging to an airtight container. Store in a cool, dry, dark place. And use oxygen absorbers to control oxygen and desiccants to control, control the moisture. So, you know, you want to go ahead and think about that and consider that. Uh, I think the non-fat powdered milk uh, you know, piece is, is important there. But some people will stock that for... Uh, for cooking and, and using it for cooking. Uh, but that's going to be something that you might need to consider. My next one is, or the next one is one of my favorites. It's peanut butter. So an unopened regular peanut butter can stay fresh for five years. However, there are some reports of flavor and odor deteriorating in less than one year. For long-term storage of five years or more, try powdered peanut butter. It's made with roasted peanut pressed peanuts that have had their oil removed store peanut butter powder in tightly sealed containers in a cool dry place all right we love peanut butter we have eaten peanut butter that is five years old uh you know or older uh but you know we just get it at sam's and we just stock up on it and so we rotate that out as we as we go but uh, i love peanut butter and uh something that you should have on hand the next one is an important one as well and 
it's one that you normally see like when when things are going sideways you know like i remember covid and uh anytime we have like uh a hurricane coming or whatever for whatever reason dried pasta does get eaten up a lot in the uh in the store shelves so dried pasta is number seven uh in her book pasta and noodles a global history food scientist Kantha Shelke reveals that she tasted pasta found in an Egyptian pyramid. Remarkably, she found no loss in its quality. For the best long-term storage of dried pasta, place the pasta in an airtight container along with oxygen absorbers. Another option is to vacuum seal dried pasta in its original packaging. Store in a cool, dry location. So there's a lot of things that you can do with pasta. Um, If you are doing tomatoes and you have a uh you know some kind of a spaghetti sauce recipe you can easily just kind of go there and go you know some kind of an italian dish there but um, you can use it to make you know stretch other foods as well and make that go a little bit longer and you'll feel full from it and uh, not only that kids love usually kids love pasta, right? So you might have some issues with them eating pinto beans and things like that, but they're going to love pasta and you can easily make some, some creams. Again, if you have that powdered milk, some creams and you can make, uh, some, some dishes that would be, um, nice and savory during a, a, a trouble time. Right. So, uh, Again, dried pasta is number seven. Number eight is one that we always hear about in the preparedness community is hardtack. So you may know it, it only as a Civil War ration, but hardtack, a dense biscuit made from flour, water, and often salt, is an inexpensive long-term survival food. You can dip the hard cracker in water or fry it with butter to make it edible. Here's a recipe for hardtack, and this article offers more information on the survival food. When stored in air in watertight containers, hardtack will will last indefinitely. So that's one thing to consider there. You're just not going to break off a piece and just start chewing it. You really are going to need to soften it up. So some people have talked about, you know, with bouillon cubes, making some kind of uh, uh, a soup and then throwing the hardtack in there. And that would be an easy way to eat it and to, to feel full. But then uh, also I like here what they talked about, you know, frying it up with some butter to make it edible. And uh, it's one of those things that, you know, it's going to last for a long, long time. Number nine, of course, is canned foods. And I highly recommend everybody have a good stockpile of canned foods. Um, This here says commercially packed canned fruits and vegetables will last for decades when stored properly. Avoid cans that are rusted, dented, scratched, or bulging when purchasing canned foods. Canned foods that have been stored for many years may change slightly in color or texture, but is often safe to eat. Never eat canned foods that has a foul odor odor or shows other signs of spoilage store canned foods off the floor in a cool dry or cool dark dry space that is safe from wide temperature swings and freezing like unheated basements or uninsulated attics Uh, one of my tips i've always shared is when i get home from the store just write the date that date like today's date on that can you know that the cans that you're gonna that you're gonna find at the grocery store are going to have they're not gonna be expired or they're not gonna be over their best by date. They have to pull those off if they are. So I do that because a lot of the times the best by dates are so small 
and they're hidden, you know, somewhere on the label that you're fighting to try to look for them. And I just don't want to spend that much time. So my friend Brian Hawkins talks about that. He finds the best buy date and he puts that down. So I'm like, more power to you on that. I don't want to spend so much time looking for those dates. I want to put today's date on there and I'm good to go. A lot of the times the the dates are not going to be very far off. Someone else in the exclusive email group mentioned that another way to do that is by uh, setting up like stickers, like colored dots in your on your uh, on your food shelves, and then you're able to say, okay, this shelf, uh, you know, is yellow, and that was purchased in 2020 right? This shelf was purchased in 2021. It has a red dot. This has a blue dot, a green dot. And then that way, you know, that you're always going towards the, the, the older, um, the older cans. You can also place dots on the, uh, on the cans itself, if you want to do it that way. And then you just need to have a key for the dots. So uh, that's, you know, just another way to make it easy to be able to rotate your food storage out. Number 10 is flour. So for long-term pantry storage of white flour, your best bet is to place it in sealed mylar bags with oxygen absorbers. This step helps protect it from light, moisture, and oxygen for up to 15 years. Another option is to store wheat berries in a mylar bag with oxygen absorbers in a cool, dry location. Wheat berries, which you can grind into a nutritious flour, will last up to 15 years when stored this way. Actually, I believe wheat berries last even longer than that, uh, but that's something that you're going to have to to go and, and, and check out yourself. But wheat berries when it's it's a lot i mean it's not the same kind of flour that if you're used to just white flour or baking flour you really need to uh spend a little bit of time of you know using that if you if you are going to stockpile that um you also might want to cut that with white flour so maybe you know like a fourth wheat berries or that you've uh wheat that you've ground down and then three-fourths uh you know, flour, and then you gradually increase um, the the wheat content as you get used to it. So that's something that you could possibly do there. Number 11 is maple syrup. So like honey, maple syrup can last indefinitely when stored in a sealed container in a cool, dry location. A sealed glass jar or bottle is your best bet. And also like honey, you can melt crystallized maple syrup back down to its original state. An easy and gentle way to handle this procedure is to place the unopened maple syrup container in a container of warm water. So you can also do that again for uh, the honey as well. You want to slowly bring it up to its liquefied form. But uh, having syrup on hand, uh, I've always said that syrup and pancakes, even like the just add water pancakes, I think that's something that everybody should have in their long-term food storage. Um, And actually, you're not going to keep it for long-term, but you just kind of like rotate that out. That is an easy meal and everybody usually likes pancakes and syrup. Syrup will last a long time. Number 12 are bouillon or bouillon cubes. Um, Actually, this one just says bouillon. So we'll just kind of go with that. Uh, Named for the French verb bouillir, which translates as to boil, bouillon powder or cubes are an excellent addition to the long-term food pantry. You can use them to make stews, soups, sauces, and gravies. They also can deliver essential electrolytes to the body when you drink them as a broth. Granular bouillon products store better than bouillon cubes and your best bet for long-term results is to keep the granular product in sealed mylar bags in a cool dark dry place all right so there you have it bouillon is one of those that you can uh, you can store long term number 13 is pemmican 
Now, this is one that I've never tried and one that uh, I don't, I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't do it. But anyway, here, let me, let me, if you've never heard of it, let me read this one to you. So pemmican is, is a centuries old name for the Cree word for rendered fat. The food, which provides a nutritious and filling food for Native Americans, was adopted by fur traders in the 18th and 19th century. Pemmican is a dried combination of berries, meat, and rendered fat, also known as suet or tallow, that requires no refrigeration and can last for many years. Here's a recipe for pemmican. For long-term storage, wrap the pemmican in aluminum foil and then place it in a sealed plastic bag. Keep the bag stored at room temperature in a dark, dry location. Okay, I just I can't do it. The 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 berries and the meat and the rendered fat, I just have no idea what that's going to taste like. So, it's not that I wouldn't try it, but I don't want to make it to be able to try it. And then when you're dealing with fat, you got to be real careful that you do this right uh, so that it doesn't go rancid. And you, so you really need to know what you're doing there. So I probably, I, that's not something that I'm going to add to my food storage, but if you, that's something for you, more power to you. So the next one is one of my favorites. It's popcorn. So kernel or unpopped popcorn, not the packaged microwave kind, will last indefinitely when stored in airtight containers. Place the kernels in mylar bags, which protect against both air and light. Add an oxygen absorber in each bag for extra protection. Then place the bags inside a food-grade bucket with a tight-fitting lid. All right, I got to tell you something funny about this. And, you know, that's one of the things, like, during the... Yeah, if there was truly, you know, the zombie apocalypse or whatever, uh, I would probably miss popcorn uh, because I've not stored popcorn uh, in, you know, in, you know, for long-term food storage. But I recently heard that with the microwave popcorn, so all the, you know, the stuff that you put in there, of course, it's really easy to do and all that good stuff. You know, you just pop it in there and you go. There's all different kinds of things that, that are, you know, bad stuff that's in the in the bag, right? And so you want to be careful with that. So someone was telling me, and we were at work and we just, I don't know why we got on this topic, is that you can make, you know, microwave popcorn, you know, in a, just a regular brown paper bag and there's no difference in it. And so I, I was like, wow, okay. So probably something you need to look up uh, a little bit, you know, uh, out there on the internet. I'm sure that there's people that talk about that. I'm sure there's videos out there, but there's nothing special in the bag. I mean, of course it has flavor and butter and all that kind of stuff, salt. You can add that, you know, if you need to, but just, you can put unpopped kernels, which is a lot cheaper to buy than microwave popcorn, put that in a brown paper bag, which is, you know, buying a lot of those at the grocery store is really easy. You know, that's really cheap. And then you put it in the microwave and, you, and you're good to go. So I uh, did not know that and uh, might have to try that one out and then report back later on. Number 15 is freeze-dried foods. Now, the higher the moisture content of a food, the shorter its shelf life. The freeze-drying process removes around 98% of a food's moisture content. You can freeze-dry many foods, including dairy, meat, fish, eggs, fruit, vegetables, and even pet food. You can even purchase entire freeze-dried meals. Oil-based foods such as peanut butter, honey, jam, syrup, and pure chocolate do not freeze-dry well. Freeze-dried foods should be stored in a cool, dark, and dry location. If you're new to the concept of freeze-dried food, here's an article that provides some of the basics. So I know that Brian, uh, again, Brian Hawkins from Next uh, Next Step Survival has talked a little bit about that, and he's doing freeze-dried as well. And uh, 
I don't I don't know. It takes a long time, and a lot of energy, and a lot of effort to to do that. I don't know if it's worth it, but if it's something that you want to do and you you, know, you feel like you can do it. I know I know one of the problems that he talked about, and um, I, I believe I shared that in the the last uh, episode that we were all together. I think he shared it there. Uh, is that how you're having to to watch it, right? So you, you it's never finishes. It never finishes when it's convenient for you. It finishes like when you're at work and you have to come home and you have to do it and, and all those different kinds of things. So anyway, something to uh, to consider there if you're really interested into freeze dried food. So as you plan for your long-term pantry, keep in mind that your food's main enemies are temperature, oxygen, moisture, and pests. Even if you're storing food for the long haul, it's still a good idea to label containers with the storage date. And despite the information in this article and other long-term storage device, trust your senses when it comes to eating your food. Some changes in appearance may be expected for food that's been stored for a long while, but if it smells or looks off, don't eat it. All right, so there are a lot of other resources here as well that you can go and you can check out um, if you're interested in, in long-term food storage and bouncing off of homestead site.com and you can bounce off of that and uh, go to some of the other articles that they have here. Again, like always, I'm going to link to them in, in the show notes. I think long-term food storage, it's really a no-brainer. It's really easy to do. And you should be, everybody should be doing it. It just makes a lot of sense. Right now, when we have all the craziness in the world that is happening and you're, you have two, three days worth of food, some people go to the grocery store every single day or you're eating out every single day and you don't have anything at home, if that is you, you are making a big mistake. And I think you are putting your future self, you know, we want to ready our futures. You're putting your future self in a position that is not good for you and your family. Long-term food storage is a no-brainer. It's not hard to do, and you can do it. I've talked about this many times. I have videos. I have a, an ebook that costs $3 that walks you through and even has worksheets and all that good stuff on it. Don't, don't mess around with this, right? There's a lot of things you can, you can wait on. Uh, there's a, a lot of things you're like, okay, I'm not I'm not going to move on that. I'm not going to go buy a big solar generator or a big generator. I'm not going to go, uh, you know, and, and, and buy, you know, five AR-15s, you know, whatever, right? But food storage is not something you should play around with. I, you know, long-term food. food. I, I think it's, everyone should do it. It just makes a whole lot of sense. So guys, again, uh, I'm going to link to this article. Thanks to Homestead Survival Site for the article. I'll link to it so you can go and uh, bounce over there. And uh, that's it. That's it for episode 768. I hope you found this episode valuable. And if you did, I would appreciate a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Readiness Goodness. And if you would like to support Ready Your Future, like I mentioned before, you can go over to readyyourfuture forward slash support and check out all the links that are there, all the ways that you can support the podcast and the website. And I'm going to have a direct link in the show notes for you. Lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist, my new one, fresh off the presses, to, so that you know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. 
Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.